0: Amen. Good morning. Be seated. If you are standing, thanks for being. I just cut out. Can y'all hear me? All right. Okay. We are, we are here. I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. A couple announcements before we get in. Uh, executive decree from the top. Uh, that would be me right now. We will worship at 930 next Sunday morning. And all of God's people said amen. Um, so, uh, we will, um, uh, instead of, uh, instead of passing out bulletins, we may start passing out, uh, sunscreen, but, uh, we are glad that you're here. Those little sunscreen wipes, you know, we give everybody one on the way in. No, uh, we're glad, thankful for this opportunity that the Lord gives us as we come together to gather, uh, at, it, it, as God's church right here at Malvern Hill. And I'm so glad for all of you that have come out. If you would like to listen inside your vehicle, the FM transmitter is at 97.3. so if you would like to listen inside your vehicle, that is available. If you're watching from home today, I want you to know that I prayed for you this morning. Prayed for those of you especially who can't be out and just can't get out and enjoy God's creation and and be among God's people. Uh, We love you and we look forward to the day when we can all be together with you again. But just know that uh, though you're not with us, you certainly are not forgotten. If you have your Bibles this morning, you're going to be be in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And as you're turning, just a reminder, this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, today uh, we do want to take just a moment to recognize uh, those who have given their lives for our freedom and those families who are left behind and so this morning, as you are turning, I would like to just have a word of prayer uh, to remember those um, those veterans who've lost their lives soldiers and, and others who've lost their lives. We were able to show a video this morning on the uh, the live stream, but of course, you all weren't able to see that, just honoring Uh, those who have uh, lost their lives so if you would allow me to pray this morning i'd appreciate it father god i thank you that we can gather in freedom lord god i thank you that we live in the freest country on planet earth and that, lord god you have blessed us to be here lord i thank you for those who have given their lives to preserve freedom not only here but around the world Father God, I thank you for those families who have been willing to sacrifice their loved ones, uh, Lord God, so that the rest of us could enjoy the liberties that we know today. Father, I pray that we would never forget those who have given that ultimate sacrifice, that, Father God, we would always be found to be those people who honor and respect those who have given their lives for us. Father God, I pray that you would raise up many more selfless Lord God, uh, courageous soldiers, marines, airmen, and others, Lord God, who would um, continue to protect us and protect the freedoms that we know as a country, Lord God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Having said that this morning, we are in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Hebrews, chapter 2. If you could and are willing... I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I read God's word, Hebrews chapter two, verse, beginning in verse ten. Oh, I was supposed to tell you. all, I'm wearing a hat this morning for the first time ever preaching. I got cooked yesterday. I, I did a, few, a a wedding, funeral, wedding. They're kind of the same thing. Um, just a joke. Just a joke. And I, my my forehead is, is as red as, uh, as you... It would be glowing if I didn't have this hat on. So uh, for those of you who might be offended by that, I apologize. All right, if, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source... That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me... For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you give us understanding from your word. That, Father God, you would give us encouragement to trust even more in our faithful high priest who has been made like us in every way, and yet, Lord, was without sin and has overcome. We praise you, God, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. On May the 8th, 2009, a White House photographer captured a really cute picture of a five-year-old little boy named Jacob Philadelphia rubbing President Obama's head. The story goes that the young Jacob was uh, was visiting the Oval Office with his father and his brother, and before they left the Oval Office, the two boys asked questions of the president. The older brother wanted to know why Obama had eliminated the F-22 fighter jet. But Jacob, uh, the youngest brother, had just one question. He said, I want to know if my hair is just like yours. So the president bent over and reportedly said, go ahead, touch it, dude. Find out. And the young boy reached up and the, the photographer grabbed a picture. The boy's father later said this. He said, it's important for black children to see a black man as president. You can believe that any position is possible to achieve if you see a black person in it. We want to know that someone like us has been there. We want to know that someone like us has experienced something. A few years ago, I was invited to go back to my high school and to speak at their academic reception. And as I spoke with some of the leaders there um, uh, at the school and administrators, I asked them why they weren't reaching out to some successful people to come back and do this on a more regular basis. And they said, what what, what do you mean? I said, man, in, in my graduating class, we have PhDs. I said, we have have physicians, we have lawyers, we have CPAs, we have uh, incredibly successful people, all of whom graduated with me. Why are you not bringing them back? Those people at Broome High School, those students need to know that coming from where they are, somebody can go and make something of themselves. We all want to know that that's possible. And y'all, that's the big lesson of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. The big lesson of Hebrews 2, 10-18 is that Jesus is the great high priest who is like us and yet has overcome. He is the great high priest who makes it possible for us to experience the fullness of the Christian life. This morning I want us to wrestle with that question. What is it that makes Jesus the better high priest? The first thing we see this morning is that he is a high priest who identifies with us. He's a high priest who identifies with us. He calls us brother. Now, don't miss the significance of this. When he calls us brother, it carries weight. Um, brother John Arledge works as, uh, as the crossing guard at, uh, near the elementary school, where my kids go, near Camden Elementary School. And he's just a superhero for all those kids as they cross the street. He does such a great job just loving on them and speaking to them. But one of my kids asked me, one of my younger ones asked me one day, why do you call him Brother John? So, well, I call him Brother John because he's my brother in Christ. But, you know, even as Christians, that can sort of become a shorthand that doesn't carry a lot of weight, right? We, we just say it, it becomes something else that we do. But let me ask you this question, uh, and, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have family members that you don't, you know, get excited about claiming? Angela, I'm glad to see you put your hand up over there. I know your family. Right? We all have those. Think about this you are that family member for Jesus. You, we are those people, and yet Jesus gives us his name and allows us to continue to carry that name. The, the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well is the one that illustrates this so well for me. This woman is known uh, because she did something that not everybody did. She came to the well in the heat of the day. You can imagine she's there about this time of the day, right? It's miserable, hot. She's the only person there. She's drawing water. Why? Because nobody else was coming out, and she was trying to hide. And Jesus encounters this woman, and he says, Woman, what's going on? Why don't you go home to your husband? And she goes, Well, you know, I don't have one. And then Jesus lays it all bare for her, right? Well, that's right, you don't have a, a husband. In fact, you, you, you've had many, and the man you live with you're not married to. And this one says, well, who are you? She says, I'm the one that you've been, you've been looking for. a matter of fact, I'm the one you didn't even know you needed. I'm better than you could have hoped for. I can give you water so that you'll never thirst again. But the incredible thing about that story is not just that Jesus offers her salvation. Jesus then says to her, go and tell your friends about me. Do you know that there's this woman of ill repute and yet Jesus doesn't say get your stuff cleaned up and then when you become a respectable human being I'll allow you to be called a Christian. I'll allow you to be called a follower of Jesus. There she is, this woman of ill repute. She goes back into town and she says I've met a man. And what did all the other people in town go? We're sure you did, right? Because that's what they expected of her. Instead she says no, no, no. I've met the man, the Messiah, the God man. Jesus is willing to be to to, to have her carry his name. Folks, that's the same thing as it comes to us. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is willing to call us brother. He is not embarrassed by us. You're not that relative for Jesus that he looks at and turns his head when he sees you coming. Instead, Jesus sees all of our faults, our failures, our sins, our shortcomings, and he still lets us carry his name. Don't miss how different this was, especially in first century Judaism. The high priest and the priestly class were separate from the rest of the people. If I were the priest in those days and y'all were the people, listen, I'm the man and y'all are something else, you understand? Like, I get to be on the platform, and y'all get to sit out, out there on the grass. The difference would be somebody would maybe be fanning me. I would be, I would be honored in society, and you all would look up to me. Maybe y'all should try that. I'm just going to put that out there, something to think about. But uh, no, but, but that would be the difference. And instead, what the writer of Hebrews says is that Jesus isn't a high priest who's sitting up on a pedestal. Instead, he came and lived among you. Jesus is a high priest who identifies with you. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 I'm the priest and you're somebody else. Jesus says, you are my brother. Folks, he's a high priest who identifies with us. Second thing this morning we see is that Jesus is a high priest who has suffered. Isn't it comforting when you're going through a difficult time to talk with someone who has experienced the same sorts of challenges? We have a major problem. Temperature on my iPad just overheated, so we'll do this without notes and see how this works, okay? It's um, a problem. If, uh, if, if Kevin's able to go and print off my sermon study guide, that would be amazing, just in case I forget. Um, but uh, um, we, we don't have a high priest. We have a high priest who is, who, 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 who knows us and who's willing to be known by us. Uh, the second thing we see is that we, we have a great high priest in Jesus who has suffered like us. Now, it's important for us to experience that, right? He, he's experienced the same things. This is why we have all these different kinds of groups in our life, right? This is why you have uh, grief Groups. This is why there are divorce care groups. This is why soldiers come back and they find other groups to be a part of. People who have experienced the same difficult things in life that they've experienced. Because we find comfort knowing that someone else has suffered through the same sorts of things that we've suffered through. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus has actually suffered in the things that you've suffered with. Jesus has been there and as a result he understands he understands not just from far away, he understands having experienced it. Now, we as parents, um, we, we know this feeling, right? When our children say things to us like, you just don't understand. Uh, and, and, and the thought process for the kids is that somehow or other we skip straight from like, you know, birth to adulthood. We went straight from little all the way to gray-haired old people, and we skipped all the way past uh, teenage years and early adulthood, and we have no idea. We couldn't possibly know what in the world they're going through, and when we sit down and we try and explain, but one day it clicks, right? That's the great thing about parenthood. I'm looking forward to that day myself, but as a, as a man, I know it happened for me. It clicks when you go, oh, Turns out my parents did know what they were talking about. Because you begin to realize, oh, they've actually experienced the things that I've experienced. They've suffered the way that I've suffered. Now, understand, much of what we call suffering in this life is not really suffering, right? I'm hot right now. I'm probably going to sweat six gallons before this is over with. And my head is sunburned. I'm not suffering I'm slightly uncomfortable. There's nothing that could remotely be called suffering right here. Jesus suffered for us. But in his suffering, folks, I want you to know that at your darkest days, in your hardest moments, when the worst things that you could imagine are there, just know that Jesus has experienced the same kind of suffering, and he can empathize with you. What's the difference between empathy and sympathy? Sympathy is what I feel for you when I see you going through something and I'm, I feel sorry. Empathy is when I'm wearing the same shoes that you're wearing. Empathy is when I can step off into those shoes and I can actually experience that moment with you. Today we're all hot together and we can empathize with one another. Jesus can empathize with us in the darkest moments of our life. Folks, how encouraging is it to know that we have a high priest who doesn't just claim to understand. We have a high priest who 100% absolutely understands that even in the darkest moments of our life, he knows where we are and where we've been. He understands. So we see that Jesus has suffered. Third this morning, we see that Jesus was tempted as we are. Jesus was tempted as we are. Now, I, I, I don't believe, hear me say, that it was necessary for Jesus to be tempted to be any more perfect as God. As God in the flesh, Jesus was as perfect as any human being or anything could ever be. He, was, he is God. He's perfect. He is the definition of perfection. But in his temptation as a human being, he experiences the full range of humanity. It's important for us to remember, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And for him to be fully man, he has to experience temptation. He has to experience temptation. But Jesus doesn't only experience temptation. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted and yet was without sin. Jesus was not only tempted. Jesus overcame that temptation. Jesus was victorious. Y'all, it's encouraging for us when we find ourselves in places of temptation to be reminded that we can actually, for lack of a better word, we can win. We can overcome. 1 Corinthians 10 13 says, um, it says something. It's going to come to you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, right? But in all the temptation you find yourself, he says, but God has provided a way of escape. So no matter what happens, you're going to be able to stand up underneath that temptation. That's the promise that we have from God's word, is that we are just fine. We're fine and we can stand up under the temptation of of what what comes to us in, in, in the world. Kevin, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, I know, I know, I got it. Uh, but we can stand up underneath the temptation that, that, that would come our way. Listen, sometimes when I read First Corinthians 10, 13, that can be like somebody walking to me and go, hey, you can go run a marathon. Listen, you come to me and tell me I can run a marathon, you might as well tell me I can walk out and have a million dollars in my pocket. I don't have a marathon in me. There's not a marathon that even wants to live inside of me, you understand? Like I like to get out and run every once in a while. When I say I go for a run, for those of you that are curious, that's usually like two miles. If I stretch it out, I might hit three. The idea that just for fun, I'd go out and run 26, 27, 28 miles, and I'd, what? That that doesn't seem enjoyable to me. That seems like some sort of torture. But then to come to me and say, you can do it, I'm like, whatever. But look, if you walk up to me and you're 240 pounds, and you say, you know what, Craig, I used to think it was impossible to run a marathon, but this guy, this guy, he talked me into it, and he gave me this program, and and you know what? I went I went from the couch to a marathon in six months. And and, and Craig, I'm I'm about the same size as you. I, I might actually I might still say I don't want to run a marathon, but I might at least go. You know, what, maybe it's possible. Maybe, maybe maybe some maybe you can run a marathon at 230 pounds. So maybe I could. That, that's what we want to experience, right? When, when there are difficult things in our life, it's encouraging for me to see somebody else who's actually accomplished that thing, whatever that thing may be. Whatever that thing may be. Well, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted and he overcame that temptation. Folks, we, we need to know, the Bible promises us that this idea that God would never put more on us than we can bear is actually not biblical, Right? I believe there are many times that God allows us to have burdens that are bigger than we can bear. But I think he does so with, an, with, a, with a purpose. When I can't carry it, I am forced to rely upon the one who can carry it. You understand that? I can't carry the weight of my sin and my shame, but Jesus can and did. Right? So, so when the Bible promises me that I will never be placed in a, in a position where I'll be tempted beyond what I can bear. Now that I can take to the bank. God's word says there's never going to be a point in time when I'm going to be tempted beyond that which I can stand up under. But, but what does he say? God provides a way of escape. That's important. That is super important because there are times when the temptation is too much for me to carry on my own. But God has provided a way of escape. What is the way of escape? It's the shelter that comes under the cross of Jesus. And somewhere in the shelter of God's grace, there's a way out. Now, Jesus was tempted, and yet he did not sin. But beyond that, not only did Jesus not sin, the Bible teaches us that Jesus has actually given us the power to not sin because Jesus overcame. So this morning, we see that we have a God in Christ, a Savior, a high priest, who who relates with us, who is willing to be known by us and to be known with us. We see we have a high priest who suffered on our behalf. We see we have a high priest who was tempted and yet was without sin. And then finally this morning, we see that we have a high priest who overcame. See, when it's all said and done, if the fourth part doesn't happen, then we still lose. You understand? You understand? It's all well and good if he is a a man like us and a high priest like us, but it really matters not unless he has accomplished for us the perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross and unless he has overcome death, hell, sin, and the grave. So the Bible says not only that Jesus has suffered, that he was tempted, that he relates with us, the Bible says that Jesus has overcome. In the book of Hebrews, he tells us that Jesus' death was a propitiation for our sins. That's one of those big theological words. And it just means that Jesus... Paid the penalty for our sins. He died a death that was satisfactory for the burden or for the cost, the, the, the weight of our sin. Now, this is important. A high priest did what? Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was the holiest place in all of Israel. So the, the temple was the holy place, but inside of it, you had another room that was the most holy place. And that most holy place is where. Is where the Ark of the Covenant was, was at. The Ark of the Covenant was, was symbolically the throne room of God. The Ark of the Covenant was actually the throne of God symbolically. And so the, the high priest would go in one time a year. And he would carry the blood of the sacrifice into that place. And the high priest would make atonement... For the sins of the people, every single year the high priest walked in and he carried with him the blood of the sacrifice to make atonement for the people. Jesus is the better high priest, not only because he understands us, not only because he suffered with us, not only because he was tempted. Jesus is the better high priest ultimately and more importantly because Jesus made a sacrifice once for all that never has to be repeated again. It's no longer necessary for the blood of goats and bulls to be offered for the propitiation of the sins of the people on a regular basis and once in a once a year to be given before the lord so that the people's sins may be overlooked instead jesus has paid the ultimate perfect price he is the perfect spotless lamb who was slain for the sins of all mankind before the foundation of the world jesus overcame y'all i want i want us to understand and i know it's hot and so i want to understand this really quickly I want you to understand that when the Bible says that Jesus overcame, when the Bible says that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, that matters more than everything else. If He knew us, and if He was a a, a God who was willing to be known by us and called us brother, and if He was a God who suffered, and if He was a God who was tempted, but He died on a cross and never was raised from the dead, then He was nothing but a man. And He might have been a good man, but He still was only a man. But it's because that when he died on that cross, God accepted his sacrifice and three days later God raised him from the dead. That's how we know that he's not merely a man. He's the God-man, God in the flesh, and that he has come and lived so that we might live life completely, perfectly, wholly to the fullest. And even when we have sinned to know that there has been made for us a sacrifice, a propitiation for our sin so that we might still stand before the Father one day washed, pure, and clean. What makes Jesus the better high priest? More than anything else this. He's the last high priest. He's the end of the priestly reign. He is the culmination of all the things that the Old Testament looked forward to. And he is just like you and me. He suffered, he was tempted. But in all of those things, he overcame. And ultimately, he overcame death, hell, sin, and the grave so that you and I might be in a relationship with him. What's that look like for us in the midst of difficult and trying days? I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged that there's one just like us who's made it. But more than that, I want you to be encouraged as well that he's not exactly like us because he's greater than we could ever imagine. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's given his life on Calvary's cross for you and me and he was risen, risen from the grave on that Sunday after and today he sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. He makes it possible for us to live confidently of this that those cemeteries may be full of bodies the day will come when the dead in Christ will be raised to meet with the Lord in the air and we will go to be with the Lord forever. See, that's not our final resting place. Instead, there's a home set aside for us in glory. Jesus has gone to prepare a place, and he's done so as our great high priest who loves and cares for us. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I want you to know that he's a great high priest who understands you. Don't, don't, don't buy that lie that God doesn't understand me or God can't help me. Here's the truth. He has suffered more than you've suffered. He was tempted. And folks, he's willing to be your brother, your friend, your relative, He's not embarrassed. I always talk about this at funerals, that in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, then I'm going to come back and take you again. And, and where's the place? He says, I'm going to my father's house. You've heard me say this at a funeral probably, but in the Hebrew, that, that is the, the, the bet of, the house of the father. Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place, to prepare a room. The King James says a mansion. That, 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 we, we don't get that right when we read that word. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to prepare a big mansion for you. He's going to prepare a room for you in, in his father's house. That where, that, what? that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place so that you can be with me. Listen, you're not that family member that when you finally get to meet Jesus face to face, he rents you a room somewhere on the other side of town and says, I'll catch up with you later. He's, he says, I want you to be with me. So that when we get up and have breakfast, I want to sit across the table from you. I want to know you and be known by you. I love you. That's the God that we serve. That's the hope that we have. That's the salvation that he offers. If you don't know the Lord Lord Jesus as your Savior today, I want you to know that God loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. If you're watching from home, or perhaps if you watch this on the Internet some days later, Would you please reach out to us if you'd like to know what it looks like to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here in the parking lot today, you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're uncomfortable because of the social distancing to come talk to me. Would you just talk to somebody sitting there beside you? Text somebody, make a phone call. Call me this week. I would love to pray with you and to help you see what it is to have a relationship with the Lord. But it's not just about Craig Thompson. There's, There's literally hundreds of people in this parking lot that would love to have that conversation with you. And to help you make, take the next steps to see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Regardless of what it is, I want you to have this great confidence. Jesus is our great high priest and he's made a way. Let me pray for us. Father God, I, I'm grateful that Jesus is the better, the best, the ultimate high priest. I pray, Lord God, that we would always live in confidence of that. Be with us as we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.